podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Andrew Mensel. I'm joined with Paul Dennett, and we come to you after a thrilling door, a thrilling draw, not a thrilling door, in the second test in the series against Pakistan. Paul, what a riveting match. I wouldn't go that far. G'day, manners. G'day, everyone. Um, I think um, day five was certainly riveting, and I enjoyed the match a lot more than I enjoyed the first test match. But I think sometimes we can overlook how um, relatively tedious a game was when when it has a pretty exciting finish. And I think that the Pakistan pitch preparation, vastly better than Roll Pindi, but still... I think that the, the contest between bat and ball was a little bit too much in favour of attritional cricket and too much in favour of the ball, uh, in too, too much in favour of the bat. But I think, as I said as I said before, everything else about this series has been wonderful and this was certainly a, an improvement. And, yeah, the, the ending was great. And I, I, I did enjoy the whole match. Yeah, I guess maybe riveting was a bit of an oversell. But I think... Um... <laughs> I guess what disappointed me about the pitch was not the way it started, but the way it finished. I would have liked to have seen it deteriorate a little more and and play a few more tricks in those last couple of days, obviously being Australian, but also from a spectacle point of view. Yeah, and it was a bit weird how it didn't. Um, We'll we'll probably get to that, but um, maybe it was more that Australia bowled particularly well with the... um, and got that reverse swing in the first innings and possibly made the pitch look like it was deteriorating more quickly than it was. And that maybe then um, the second innings gave a truer indication of, of where the pitch exactly stood. Yeah. So looking at the way these teams lined up for the game, um, as we, I think discussed in the last show, uh, Josh Hazewood was left out for Mitchell Swepson for Australia. And then uh, Pakistan made the change, bringing Fahim Ashraf in, for uh, what was your round who played in the last game? Um, uh, yes, Ahmed. Yes, Ahmed. And they brought um, Hassan Ali in as well for uh, for Shah. So I thought, um, how, how do you think the teams lined up? Well, we had a discussion at the time about whether or not it was the right thing to do. I said that I would have liked to see um, controversially Lyon omitted, and I would have preferred Stark omitted rather than Hazelwood. So I was sort of saying bringing in uh, an attack of Agar and Swepson along with Hazelwood and Cummins. Um, you know, I, I mean, it was weird that when Stark went went straight through them in that first innings, um, you would say that absolutely Stark was the right choice. Or if you just tuned in at the end and saw Lyon's performance right at the end, you'd say Lyon was absolutely the right choice. They were devastating at their best. But there were long periods as well where they weren't so effective. I think Stark was a little disappointing in the second innings. So uh, you look... I tend to think it's probably, um, yeah, it's a debate you're never going to win either way. Um, and ultimately, probably as a little bit with the first test, the pitch had the final say, I think. Mm. I thought Hassan Ali was probably slightly more consistent than Nazim Shah. I, I don't think there's a lot between them. I think Shah's extra pace is useful, but I think Hassan Ali's 
just a, a little bit better of a test bowler at the moment for Pakistan. Yeah, I think Hassan Ali is a, a significantly um, better bowler. I think maybe Shah will become that, but at the moment, um, I think he's too inconsistent. To, and that it was it was a good change that Pakistan made, as was bringing um, uh, Ashraf back in. But he was only out because of um, because of COVID, I think. In the first, was it, was it COVID or was it an injury? In any case, he was back in for for injury reasons. So Pat Cummins did uh, a very a good thing by winning the toss and electing to bat. And it was a, a good start for Australia. Warner and Kawaja put on 82 in seven uh, in 18 overs. And they, they played well because I think they identified that it would be easier to score against the new ball. And they were quite aggressive in that opening partnership. Yeah, I think that it was wonderful to see Australia that, um, you know, we might talk about some of the negatives uh, of the Australian performance in this match, but I, I still think that overall the positives significantly outweigh the ne- negatives. And that the, that first innings that Australia played where everyone aside from poor old Labashain who ran himself out <laughs> um, got a start. And um, geez, there's been times in, in the subcontinent where we would have killed for an innings like this. It was significant as well that it was the first away game um, in, against Pakistan that we've batted first for since um, the 2010 tour of England. Now that sounds worse than, than it is because there's only been four such games. All of them were in the UAE, but it was a good um, a good chance for Australia to, to bat first. Or plus the fifth game being the first one of this series. But it was good for us to bat first for a change. Absolutely. You mentioned Labashain uh, getting running himself out for a duck. So uh, it was one, 82 for one when Warner was dismissed, then 91 for two. And I'm not sure what Labashain was doing. He just hit it to the, the fielder at mid-off and took off. And then afterwards had that <laughs> absurdly sad look on his face when he was shown on, <laughs> on TV, which has made it even the more stark because he, he's, he's just always smiling. Saudi was just looking utterly miserable. The thing I liked as well, that the next day he screen capped that and sent out a, a, a post saying something like, yep, there was no single in that or something to that effect. Whomever has started to advise him on social media is very, very clever because his posting is, it's so endearing. It's self-deprecating. It's warm. It's a bit humorous. And if he's been trying to sort of um, change his image from one of being a little bit of a... Um, peculiar guy who loves cricket so much that it's almost strange to slightly less peculiar and a slightly more human. I think that that's very, very clever and very, very marketable. I'm sure that his few tweets are probably indirectly going to earn him a few million dollars. Yeah, you're right. It's funny when he takes the Mickey out of himself. I love it. Um, I love it. So do I. Um, so on that first day, Usman Khawaja went on to his 11th test, 11th test century and uh, a beautiful story um, scored in Karachi, as he calls it, the home of the Kawajas, where he has a, a lot of family and a lot of his family is from. And uh, after missing out in the first test, getting so close with 97, uh, just a really magic moment to see him bring up that century. Yep. Uh, just I just loved it. And I think I've been saying to anyone who listened, what a, an amazing few months it's been, how... If it hadn't been for Travis Head picking up COVID, then Kawaja might never have played another test match. Not only is he now back in the side, that you, you could argue on form, he's just about the first batter picked. Um, I'm delighted for him. And long may his sort of late resurgence c- continue. Because as we've said many times on this podcast, I think he has been, he's, he's copped the wrong end of line ball decisions from the selectors two or three times throughout his career. And so it's great to see him flourishing again. 
And uh, a marathon innings, he batted well into the um, second day, facing 369 balls, ending up with 160. I mean, it was it showed a lot of tenacity, showed a lot of guts. I mean, he was out there for over seven and a half hours in the end. So it was just a, a really good effort from him. Steve Smith made 72 off 214 on the first day, a, a slow grinding innings. He was dismissed um, just before stumps and Nathan Lyon was the night watchman and went on to 38 the next day. Um, yeah, Smith will be disappointed he missed out on a ton again, but still scoring runs. Yeah, that's the thing. People can make too much of a century, but yeah, he's, he's had good contributions in both innings. Uh, both matches so far. It's, it, it is remarkable the difference that freedom gives. That that next, if you didn't know any better, if you had just flown in from Mars, you would have said that um, Nathan Lyon was a better batter than Steve Smith. The way that Lyon <laughs> played that next day with just complete confidence and freedom. Um, and if Steve Smith could have been hypnotized into thinking, oh, this is just a game in the backyard, you can do what you want, he probably would have done the same thing. Gilchrist used to talk about that. that that's one of the reasons he liked to keep, that he felt that, you know, as long as I'm keeping well, I can come at number seven and swing from the hilt. And if I get out, well, so be it. Whereas if I'm batting at number six, the, the responsibility grows. I think there's something to be said for sometimes sending someone like Nathan Lyon in and say, have a dash, because it really frustrated the hell out of the Pakistanis. And it took a pretty good one from Fahim Ashraf to get rid of him. Otherwise, he, he might have got 70 or 80 the way he was batting. He doesn't have a test half century yet, does Nathan Lyon. And he's played over 100 matches. So he'd probably be keen to get one before he retires. And you're right. I like the way he came out on that second morning and and played with freedom because often he, the night watchman can get stuck and just chew up time and a team can lose a bit of momentum. But he actually uh, carried the game forward and it made it easy for Head and Green when they came in uh, to continue. Head made 23, Green made 28. But then it was wicketkeeper Alex Carey who made 93 uh, a really good knock from him, his second test half century. And look, there's been a few question marks around uh, his keeping at the end of the ashes and his form with the bat, but that was a top knock in, in spinning conditions. Timely knock, yeah, because it, it, it's put all those questions to bed. And he, he batted back the way that we, we saw him bat so often in the in the 50 over game, that he looked busy, he looked good, he looked classy. And look, the way that he scored, um, strike rate of 58 and... Other than Lyon, as I said, who was playing with um, a free-flowing and, and Warner right at the start, no one else could score uh, anywhere near that quickly. Um, so a superb innings. Disappointing that he didn't get the 100, but um, uh, a wonderful innings and kind of the, in some ways, the last piece of the puzzle in this Australian side is, is, is falling into place with him now. He swept the Pakistani spinners really well. He, he uh, It serves him well on the subcontinent having that sweep shot. Uh, Stark made 28 off 97 deliveries, um, one of the slowest test innings I've seen him play. And then then we got into this territory at the end of the second day where there was a lot of outrage on social media that uh, Cummins should declare they're over 500. It's, you know, why not have a, a dip at Pakistan before stumps on the second day? Uh, what did you think? I think he absolutely did the right thing in not declaring. I think that especially in subcontinent conditions, that... 20-minute, half-hour dip at the opposition before Stumps is overrated in its importance. And if I had been a Pakistani uh, player or fan, if he had declared then, I would have been delighted, as I was when Barbarazm declared in the first Test match. And I think that you just, you've got to say that these pitches often for two or three days are flat and then the game accelerates. The last thing that we want is to have to get extra runs in the second innings when it's so hard and to look back and think, 
we were doing it so easily in the first innings. Why, oh, why did we um, give that advantage up? And if you um, if you de- declare later and then run through them, well, so be it. You know, you're not, you're not going to be upset for having batted a little bit longer. You haven't taken too much time out of the game. But the last thing you want is for Pakistan to match or exceed your total and suddenly late in day four, you're suddenly coming out to play with nothing to play for and the game very much in the balance. I actually wouldn't have declared when Cummins even did the next morning when he was striking sixes. I would have given him another himself another 20 minutes to have a few more um, slogs. Yeah, um, Cummins, 34 not out of 36 deliveries with three sixes. I just, uh, Alex Carey getting dismissed uh, from the part-timer Baba Azam for 93. He'll be disappointed with that, missing out on his uh, first test entry. Yeah, I, I I just think we saw in the, the second innings with Pakistan, the way they batted, that you're right, that Australia had nothing to gain by declaring on that second day. Uh, as you said, to come out on the last day and they're 150 behind, uh, that, that's going to uh, completely be um, in Pakistan's favour. So Australia declared at nine for 5.56. And honestly, I, I did had I could not have predicted what happened next. I thought we were in for another batathon. I thought it probably draw, which we got in the end, but... Pakistan were just blown out for 148 in 53 overs on that pitch. Mitchell Stark took three for 29, Cummins one for 39, Lyon one for 13, Swepson two for 32, and Green one for 23. I mean, that was just so incredible. Absolutely. And it's the it's the vagaries of test cricket that, you know, you, you couldn't have predicted that. And then when it did happen you would then expect something similar to happen in the second innings. Um, it's uh, I sometimes joke about how I learnt the word mercurial earlier than the average person simply because of following Pakistan cricket that you learnt that term. And in the <laughs> same way that Melbourneian kids learn their six times tables earlier than the rest of the world because they've got to work out an Aussie rules scoring system, um, that um, it was just typical of Pakistan to be <laughs> all out for 148 uh, in the first innings. And then at one point look like they're a chance of getting 500 to be the biggest um, win in the history of test cricket by a million miles. So extraordinary, wonderful bowling um, Stark when he got that ball reverse. I mean, that ball that he got forward Alam out was um, just exquisite. I mean, he's a good player and that ball was through him in LBW before he had a chance to clamp down. And I think maybe that's what's telling that maybe I don't think the ball maybe reverse swung as much as we thought it did. And that we thought, Oh, this ball's going everywhere. It's just that Australia used it really well and, got it in the right target. Like that that ball that Fawad Alam got first ball up that knocked him over. If he'd been in for five balls, he probably would have clamped down on that and got some bat on it. So it's just everything conspired to be perfect on that in that first innings. And, and Mitchell Stark was sublime. Yeah, I mean, uh, what stood out to me was the Australian fielding. So Swepps and executing that run out to get Shafiq and then Labashain a run out as well. I mean, getting a run out on those sort of pitches is just uh, priceless. And also uh, Mitchell Swepson getting his first test wicket of Baba Azam, his Queensland skipper, Usman Khawaja, taking the catch. Yeah, there's a bit to talk about there. That, that run out of Labashain in particular, the, the bobble that it took, he, every other fielder in the world would have misfielded that and you wouldn't have criticised them for it because it bounced literally 30 centimetres higher than it had any right to bounce. And he didn't even seem to look. He just somehow felt it, grabbed it flawlessly and threw the stumps down. Amazing bit of feeling. Amazing bit of fielding. And yeah, um, lovely to see Swepson get a run out and the, uh, a pretty good first wicket to get in Test cricket in barbarism. Now, where did you then stand on the whole follow-on conundrum? 
Did you think Pat should have enforced the follow-on or were you happy with his decision to bat again? I thought he probably should have enforced the follow-on. I wasn't overly disappointed in his decision to bat again, although um, as it turned out, it was clearly the wrong decision. But what I, and I've bored you and I'll try to keep this brief, but what annoys me is what so often happens when they do then bat a second time round. What's the point? of Australia finishing after 17 overs and scoring at 81 runs, it's 4.76 and over. You know, they weren't going slowly, but to be only two out, um, why not go out there and just say, let us absolutely throw the bat at the ball. And when we then do declare after 17 overs, we'll have put it completely out of reach of the opposition. This whole notion of, oh, well, 500 is impossible. They can never get that. Sides have got much, much more than 500 in the final innings. It's just never been to, to win a match. And fresh in the memory was, South, was Pakistan in the first test in the second and the final day getting none for 270. Why not just say, rather than letting them have a, a target of 500, a little bit over three and over, really belt the hell out of the ball, lose eight wickets if needs be, and um, make a bird of things. I mean, just before the declaration, Australia had overs of one, two, one and then the next over they had three two balls and then the wicket with no run so they got four runs off 21 balls just before the declaration that's crazy i bet you they wished that they could have smashed those balls all over the shop and got 30 off those 20 because the other thing is during that second innings cummins at various times had to defend because it was always a possibility that sometimes loomed large that pakistan might actually win they were just pushing fielders back he couldn't just attack with impunity so I was fine with him batting again, but go out there and absolutely throw the bat, get bowled out for whatever, and tell everyone who's worried about their average, sometimes you just got to do that if you're playing for Australia. I guess, I mean, I disagree. I don't think Pakistan would have ever really got close to that target. And even on that last day, they weren't losing wickets and they scored 50 in the first session and 60 in the second session. So I don't think the runs matter. And so I I don't, I don't, I'm not on board with that, but what I, minute, I think is, they, didn't, they didn't score 50 in the first session and 60. I think they scored 50 odd in the first session and, or 60 in the first session and 50 in the second. Either way, it was that sort no, of no, break no. Up. It's not, not, it's not, that's not right at all. On, on the last the, day. On the last day. No, they scored more quickly than that. No, maybe not. Um, anyway, uh, we'll have to, do we, can we get a score cut up to check that? Um, yeah, hold on, hold on. I'll get it up. Um, so, at stumps on this is ribbing um podcasting paul's looking up but which is good so um all right so at stumps on my... day four uh pakistan were two for 192 you're saying then that they scored 110 in the first two sessions of the next day around um, 110 120 so that would have taken them to 300 they then scored 140 in the abbreviated final session Mm, we need to get our um I need to get the score cut up with the breakdown. Anyway, apart from that though, one thing that while I'm doing that, I'll just one thing I have noticed though, and this happened at the SCG test, which is what you said about those last few overs where they scored just a few runs before they declared, that like in the SCG test in the ashes, Cummins just declared and you know, Australia had just sort of padded out a maiden or something. And it was a similar situation that Cummins should be telling his batters that we're going to declare in the next 15, 20 minutes, get a move on. Like, I, I totally agree with that. It seems silly. Yeah, but don't you also agree that even, I mean, 
I don't agree that they were never a chance of winning. You, you looked at the, the betting. There was times where they were as short as like $8 or something. And the, they themselves said that they were considering going for it. It's just that Barbara okay. got out. I've got the figures. I've got the figures. So I am right. So you'll have to apologize. So um, pa- Pakistan started the day on what, 190 something. At lunch, they were 254 for three. So that's about 60 runs in the session. And then at tea, they were 310 for four. So that's 56 okay. runs. I apologize. So- I- I withdraw my statements there. But I still think that they were not without a chance of actually um, winning the game. The betting indicated that. They themselves said that. And why why um, put ourselves in that position when having a few slogs would have taken the need away? And don't you agree as well that at least Australia was slightly afraid of them going for it at various times because they did at various times start to get quite defensive in their fielding positions? Yeah, I'm not sure if Australia were – maybe. I think that Australia were afraid of, like, Lyon and Swepson and just getting hit out of the attack, especially Swepson. So they gave us a protection um, at various points. So Australia set that massive target. <laughs> Pakistan are two, 21 for two. It's all going Australia's way. I'm thinking at this point this is going to be over in the fourth afternoon. Is it Shafiq edged it to Smith at first slip and he was put down off Cummins at the score at about 30? And that, for me, was a big turning point. Yes, Smith dropped a, a real sitter, very, very um, unusual for him. And Australia did then quite a few little fielding lapses throughout the, the match. That There was a couple, um, both Head and Labashane dropped ones in close that were kind of off the middle of the bat defensive shots that they weren't easy catches, but they probably should have been taken. Right near the end, Kawaja uh, dropped a sitter where had he taken that, Australia still wouldn't have likely won, but it would have been eight out and it would have been a very um, uncomfortable last few overs for Pakistan. So a little bit of um, uh, a little bit of sloppiness in the field from the Aussies, but, uh, you know, I think these things occasionally happen. But then I guess we have to pay tribute, tribute to some incredible Pakistan batting. Backs to the wall. Abdul Shafiq, 96 of 305 deliveries. Baba Azam, the skipper, 196 of 425 deliveries. It's the longest uh, innings by a captain in the fourth innings to save a test match. Uh, just, I mean, you have to tip your cap to them. Despite those half chances, um, they did exceptionally well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think it shows our, naturally enough, two Australians doing a podcast that is based in Australia and about Australia that we haven't led with that. If this was a Pakistani podcast, we would have spent the first 15 minutes talking about Barbara Zam and the next 10 minutes talking about Mohammed Rizwan and the next five, uh, Abdullah Shafiq. I did send out a tweet where I jokingly said that Baba was the um, the word of the day on Wordle. Um, yeah, magnificent, superb innings. You can't say too much about them. And um, yeah, I mean, look at the rest of the scores as well. One, six, nine, naught and nine. Those three, those three innings really stand out uh, amazingly. So congratulations to them and it was stirring stuff watching them and it's just a pity for the for the matches sake that there wasn't that slightly um few more overs available that they could have really gone for the win because then it could have been an absolutely riveting finish if they'd really gone for it towards the end Muhammad Rizwan, 104 not out, fine innings um, from the keeper batter. And I, I echo what Paul said. I mean, Baba Azam, Shafiq and Rizwan, just heroic stuff. So when you were watching that last day, I'm curious, Paul. So it finished a 7 for 443. Australia took a few late wickets. Lyon took two in a row, dismissing um, 
Barbara Azam and Ashraf on consecutive balls. So that kind of opened the door uh, for Australia. But I actually, the whole day, never felt that Australia was going to win the game. It's one of those things, though, that I and I, I, I hear you, um, but I've seen this happen, I don't know how many times I've watched on a final day in a situation broadly similar to, similar to this, where you just think, oh, this is going to be a draw. It's, it's an almost a, a compulsion that you get. And yet so many times it's disproven that eventually hours and hours and hours go by where the side looks like they're going to get out of it and then the, the flurry of wickets fall. So I think bearing that history in mind, I always thought Australia do definitely have a chance here. I always thought it was more likely that they weren't going to win than, than they, that they were. But I'll tell you what, when Ashraf got out and there was that sort of double wicket um, and, and when um, Nathan Lyon was on a hat-trick, all of a sudden then I thought there's a real chance now that Pakistan could really collapse. Um, but, um, yeah, it wasn't to be. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I always thought, though, that they were just going to get there. I, I thought uh, Azam and uh, Rizwan and Shafiq had just taken so much time out of the game and the pitch just never did anything. <clears throat> Even as that last day went on, no, no balls really started keeping low. It just seemed to slow up a bit. The batters had tons of time to play the ball. I mean, it just it, it felt like a really hard slog for the bowlers. And you're right, there was no reverse swing in that, that fourth innings. I don't know what happened, whether the conditions changed, maybe just, yeah, they just couldn't start, couldn't get the ball to go. Yeah. I think it's also, as I said, that I think that in that, first innings there wasn't much more they just happened to use it exquisitely and um the other match the other balls that never really seemed to swing so much probably didn't swing all that much less it's just that, that they didn't quite nail it as they did in that first innings which was kind of it was the exception rather than rather than the rest i also found it intriguing a little bit i don't know whether it's a cultural difference in the way that cricket is played but rizwan you could tell from a while a while out he still had his eye on his hundred um <laughs> i don't know that an australian in that position I think an Australian in that position would have finished 88 not out or something. That he he just sort of and the commentators were talking about it. Um, um, Arouge was talking about it. The fact that oh you know he's, he's still got this hundred on, and I just think that was a their um, their celebration of the match is very much focused on Barbarazm and Mohammad Rizwan. And I, I saw I saw an article in the, the Pakistan press that was just all about the records that Barbarazm had set. Like that there's um, a real cult of the personality over there that is. It still exists here, but I think it's not quite so much. Yeah, you're right. That was funny when Rizwan was going for his 100 at the same time, sort of trying to draw the match. Uh, that's that's a coach killer if he gets out oh, towards God, the yeah. end there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and same with um, Sajid, um, um, uh, the spinner, when he came out. Oh, um, yeah. Nalman Ali, who Sajid, got out, or no, Sajid, Sajid Khan? Khan. Sajid Khan. C- c- cracked consecutive boundaries. One of them was just a decent shot, but one of them was an out-and-out slog. He middled it, and you think, <laughs> oh, my God, what is going on here? Um, Simon Kadic in commentary then was jokingly starting to bring up back the run rate as to how much they needed. But um, I do think it's worth mentioning just what an incredible effort it was. that in uh, During this test match, test cricket turned 145 years of age, and to the best of my research, this is the second longest that any side has ever batted to save a draw in all that time. Um, so... That is pretty impressive. That the previous um, second place was England batting for 165 overs uh, against South Africa in '95. That would have been when um, Atherton got 185 not out. Definitely. So this one, they batted for 171.4 overs, and the only one that exceeds that is the ridiculous one where 
the last test match before the Second World War, where England batted for 218 eight-ball overs, and they were chasing um, 690 or something to win, and were five for 654 at T, had the game at their mercy and had to leave and catch a boat home because the Second World War had started and they realised they didn't catch a boat home now, they might not get one. So I always think if that little 40 overs, 40 runs had been knocked off, then all this time, oh, very hard to chase more than 400. <laughs> There'd be this huge outlier where one team had almost got 700 once. It would be a, <laughs> be a remarkable little difference to the scoring. But yeah, second most ever as far as I can tell. Incredible stuff from Pakistan. Uh, just... Speaking about Australia's failure to get the win again, this is this test match. You look at Sydney where Jimmy Anderson got through that last day. You go back to the series against India where they failed to get the job done on the last day twice. You go back to even Headingley where Stokes played that marvellous innings. Australia's got the wobbles on the last day and getting rid of the coach didn't seem to help them. Yeah, I mean... Um... I think it's hard to loop all those together. I think that ultimately this still was a pretty flat pitch um, and Pakistan batted really, really well. And Australia, Australia still utterly dominated the game that had it been a timeless match, Australia would have won it comfortably um, because obviously we declared our second innings with only after 17 over. So it's still worthy of saying that we have now gone to Pakistan um, where we've always struggled, and the, the previous two tours, we've really struggled in the UAE. Here we are after two matches. Well, normally after two matches, we've already been destroyed by them. Not only are we still fighting, but if it was a boxing match, we would be ahead. Not that that counts, but we are. I, I think so far, this has been a pretty triumphant tour for Australia. Yes, it's going to be very disappointing that they couldn't get those final wickets, but I still think that we've got to look at it being um, uh, overall that they're going pretty well. Yeah, I guess my criticisms on the last day are a few things, but mainly it revolves around that I feel like they go their plan A, they go their plan B, and then they just go back to plan A again, and they just go to plan B, and then they go back to plan A. I, I feel sometimes, like, for example, felt Marnus Labashane was held back far too long in that second inning. I would have been using him a lot more just for a few overs before breaks and, and also bring on a part-time medium pace. And like, like for example, Rizwan, like if you'd brought on say Steve Smith, Rizwan might've thought I'm going to try and take him to the cleaners and hit one straight up in the air. So I, I just felt that they didn't really um, be advent. They weren't adventurous enough. I agree a hundred percent, especially around Lava Shade. And I just find it, it's a really annoying thing about me, about the conservatism of Australian cricket, that, that, that they can't get it out of their heads, the notion, well, we've picked the two specialist spinners, that's their job. Why would you bowl a part-timer when you've got two specialist spinners? Fair enough for a little while, but when neither of them are having enormous success, and Labashain is a bowler, he did it in the Ashes in that match in um, the, the, the the final... The Old Trafford, test, yeah. Yeah, where he got the second last wicket. He and he, he's a good bowler, and he's got a different trajectory to to Swepson. Give him five or six overs, and then you can take him off. But I, I completely um, agree with you. I think that that was um, um, a little bit disappointing. Um, also, it does highlight that although I think Swepson bowled very tidily, he was unlucky; had catches dropped off him, and Lyon did break the breakthroughs at the end. Ultimately, Swepson's played fifty-two matches in first-class cricket, average of thirty-five. Lions, 183 matches, average of 34. I know that there's a um, there's more to the story of Lion, especially than that. 
when you just look at it in isolation, they are fairly modest sets of figures. And I've put in the notes here that we always said that before Shane Warne's spin was dead, Shane Warne came and made us realise, oh, actually, spin is alive. Maybe it was wrong. Maybe Shane Warne's the, one of the very few exceptions. And maybe what we were thinking in the late 80s is actually right, that by and large, spin is vastly inferior to fast bowling. And then Shane Warne has ruined the calculus by being so good. If he hadn't come along, maybe spin would have just about completely gone from the game. And maybe that's pragmatically and sad to say how it should be. Maybe it's just Australian spinners that aren't that good because they don't get a lot of opportunities at state level. Very few pitches here are, are favourable to spin bowling, so they end up. Yeah, but none of the other spinners have any success in Australia either. No, no, but I'm saying, uh, like, I think like some spinners are good, but it's not ours. I think Ashwin's no, okay. Yeah, yeah, but Ashwin has Ashwin and Jadeja um, haven't done a lot in Australia. Um, True. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I, I think it also points to the fact that. Um, without wanting to harp on it, I think Agar might have had more success just because left arm orthodox, every ball's kind of aiming at the stumps and it either spins away and you've got a chance of the nick or it hurries on for the LBW and it's spinning away for the right hand is bad. I think that there's there's a reason that you see quite a few left arm orthodox bowlers bowled by uh, Asian sides. And I'd love it if they give him a chance in the third test. I doubt that they will, but they should. Uh, yeah, just going back to the point about being adventurous on the last day, I was actually thinking about why this happens at test level. And I was sort of thinking that it, it's actually to do with what happens at the levels below, that Cummins and all these players, they, they come up through the, the state system. And against those players, if you bowl three or four maidens, a lot of the times these batters then get themselves out playing a silly shot. So they get into test level and they think, let's keep the pressure on. Uh, let's not let out, you know the pressure off at any stage. And what they don't realise is that test players, a lot of them won't give their wicket away after a few maidens because they're playing for their country and it means the world to them. And, 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 you know, like when Mark Taylor was skipper of Australia, he would just change the rhythm of the game every now and then. He'd, he'd chuck Ricky Ponting the ball and say, just come in and mix things up. And I, I just feel that, um, you know, they've just got to sort of, I don't know, be just a bit more creative at, at test level. I agree with the second half of your answer, of your statement, but I think the first half, it sounds good, but I think it's gibberish. Um, I mean, Cummins has only played 14 first-class games that aren't test matches. He's barely played any Sheffield Shield cricket his whole life. Um, I, I think that that's just... But I think I it's drummed into them, the coaching staff. They drum into them, you know, but build pressure with mains and you get wickets. Build pressure with mains and you get wickets. And I don't think it's always the case at test level. Yeah, but I don't think that they're... Um, you know, his, his, his experience, out his, his whole career is basically test matches, Pat Cummins. Mm. Um, no, I just think that, um, I, I think it's more that they are kind of discouraged from thinking too creatively because everything else that they do, it works by being patient. That, you know, um, Warnie's always used to say that, uh, landed on the spot, landed on the spot, be patient, let the natural variation sort of um, uh, give you some assistance. I think that they take that approach to the whole thing. And the notion of, like whenever I talk about, you know, the, the notion of, oh, why not bring in Nathan Lyon more regularly at number three or number four just to come out and have a bit of a free freewheeling hit? Objectively, that's not a stupid idea. But if I said that to a test cricketer, they'd look at me and say, mate, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's just mm. that they, they just don't like to think um, outside I'll tell you who'd say that. Nathan Lyon. He'd be like, no way, mate. I don't want to go in there and paint the new rocket three or four. He might want to. I mean, he, he loves yeah. this one. Maybe. Uh, so, yeah, an incredible draw from Pakistan. Congratulations. Um, history was made. 
and Australia and Pakistan head to Lahore now for the third and deciding test, which I think starts in a few days. I think it's on Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday. Um, so there's not a big turnaround. Um, wondering if you think Australia will make any changes. Uh, I haven't read any of the quotes out of their uh, um, press conference that indicates that they, that they might. I suppose, assuming that there are no injuries, then they tend to be reluctant to to make many changes. Um, Test starts Monday, uh, sorry to clarify. I was hearing, um, I think it was Wacko Yunus saying that he thought Scott Boland would have bowled well on that pitch. I thought I forgot he even existed. <laughs> you know, <he's, laughs> How quickly we forget he's six, six for seven, forgotten a one month later. He's got a test average of about negative three, and now who is he? <laughs> yeah, the new he cycle would, moves probably, pretty fast. He probably would be pretty handy on those pitches. I think the way you know he's stumped the stump line and everything else. So, um, yeah, I, I I tend to think that they might make a change for rotational reasons, but who are they going to change? Oh, yeah, I reckon they'll go with the same eleven probably. So having not seen the pitch, it's hard to make a call. But look, I wouldn't like them to dump Swepson after one game. I think that wouldn't be good for his confidence. I think they've picked Who cares him. About his confidence. Who cares about his confidence? He's I a big care. Boy. I care because I want no, him to be a better cricketer. That's, that's for the future to worry about. If he's if he's that weaker cricketer that a, a, a being omitted from a test match here is going to ruin his confidence that he's going to be no good, then he's going to be no good anyway. Pick the best eleven to win the match for Australia, and to hell with anyone's confidence. So if we, if they if they turned up at um, Lahore and it was a bit of a, a a turner, there was a bit more variation in the pitch. Would you like to see uh, Agar for Swepson? I'd like to see Agar for Swepson, Swepson, no matter what the pitch is. Okay, um, there we go. Good, but not not. Um, yeah, I just think if you're starting to worry about a player's confidence, that's borderline match fixing. You've got to pick the best eleven to win the win the match, and don't worry about um, you know whether a player's feelings are going to be hurt. I'm not worried about his feelings going to be hurt, but if he was good enough to get picked for this match, I think you, you should give him a go in the next one um, after he's sat on the sidelines for so long. But the, 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 neither of those two things have got anything to do with it. you just got to pick the best side. And if he's in the best 11, he's in it. If if you realise you've made a mistake and he's not in the best 11, just don't pick him. So I, I don't think that... Um, look, if I was going to have money on the match, I'd have a lot more confidence if Agar was in the side than Swepson. I don't think Swepson's a bad bowler. And I think he he was unlucky in this match not to get better figures. And he may well, if the pitch suits, do really well in the third test. Who knows? I think that Agar is a slightly more likely chance uh, to do well than, than him. In these we, should have take, we should have taken Tanvir Sanger over. He saw him this week in the Sheffield Shield. He looks uh, an extremely promising spin bowler. Uh, and then, I uh, yeah, maybe they'll rest a, a quick bowler if they're tired or they've got a niggle, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, Cummins will play, and and then it just comes down to d- does Stark switch out for Boland or Hazelwood? Yeah, Travis Head, um, you wouldn't say he's under pressure, but I suppose there's a possibility that if they thought they needed extra firepower that they could rest him. That's another possibility in playing extra bowler, bringing like Agar as a third spinner. Mm, I don't think they will, but... Uh, and it'd be very hard on him if they did, but you know, um, if that's what they think, then go for it. All right, let's go through these questions. Um, so the first one from Joe Smith, I've got to own up to this, is written Your prediction of three zip doesn't look good, manners. And then he's put a frog emoji. So I don't know what the frog emoji means. Maybe that's an insult. Maybe that's just a friendly hello. Uh, but he's right. <laughs> it doesn't um, look good. I don't think Australia um, 
Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look good. I'll line up to that one. Uh, the pitches have certainly haven't helped my prediction. Um, no, but I thought it was a, I mean, I thought it was, I predicted 2 1, so we're pretty close. Um, and history would say that uh, that wouldn't have been an unusual result. So I think that echoes back to what I was saying. I think Australia's done really well uh, to be in the position they are. Oh, here's Brewer. Brewer 74 has left a lot of comments, but this is one I like. He'd say, I'd say Hazelwood will come in for Stark. Will it be another two spinners in the third test? I think so, but I haven't seen the pitch. Um, he's saying also if we slogged and got rolled for 60, they might have reached the total. They were not far off the total as it was. We only got slightly more than 60 as it was. Didn't we declare it like 78 or something? I think 77 um, or something like 97 maybe. We declared on... Um, 97, two for 97. 97. Yeah, I'm not anyway. talking about... I'm not talking about slogging to the point of insanity, but um, they they could play a T20 style and they're not going to get bowled out for 60. Well, that was the uh, test review. Uh, just a couple of things, I guess, before we get into... Or one thing before we get into Can't Let It Go. I just want to um, talk about the ICC Women's World Cup. So... Um, Australia were on top of the ladder, four games, four wins, eight points. South Africa, bit of a surprise packet, three matches, three wins, six points. But then we're in this ding-dong battle. Uh, well, it's a, it's a really open ladder. Uh, India on four points, New Zealand on four points, West Indies on four points. England were none from three after three matches. Then they beat the West Indies to get two points. Um, so they're in real trouble at not qualifying. And Bangladesh got their first ever win in World Cup history. So what an amazing start to this tournament. Yeah, it's excellent. My my tip um, for uh, the ones to cause some upsets, Pakistan have played for and lost for. So sorry about mm-hmm. that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Aussies are looking uh, – it's, it always is a bit nerve-wracking for these tournaments where when it's not first past the post. And, you, and I know it's stupid superstition, but you sometimes almost want them to lose one so that they don't lose the semi-final. It was so gratifying seeing Australia win the 2003 and 2007 World Cups in the men's without losing a match, going through all of that, and then doing the job in the knockout game. So it's going to be it's going to be very interesting once the knockout comes, given that Australia will be playing for um, probably two, two and a half weeks, knowing that they've already qualified and that knowing that none of the matches now really matter. And all of a sudden, when the semis come, bang, it's, it's there and then. That's exactly what I was about to say. I think Australia can do what... Um, the Australian men's team did in 03 and 07 and go through undefeated. They look a class above all the other teams. And the the teams that I thought could maybe spring a few surprises, um, New Zealand, India, the West Indies, they've looked good at times, but at other times they've looked shocking. So Australia haven't had those moments. Rachel Haynes has been outstanding at the top of the order. Contributions with the ball from Elise Perry. I mean, yeah, it's this could be a joy, this tournament for Australian fans. I hope so. I just think that whomever they play in the semi and then and or the final, especially if it's someone like New Zealand, um, they'll go into it and say, like, you know, if we play normally, we're going to lose. So let's go out there and try and score 350 or let's really uh, monster the bowling. And if they get a, a bit of luck, then it, um, an upset could be on the cards, but which would be great a great pity because Australia is head and shoulders above the rest of them. That's a Women's World Cup. Just tune into that one. I've been pretty busy and haven't been able to watch as much as I'd like in the last week. But there's been so many exciting games. Um, really reinvigorated my love for the 50-over format. And let's let's end with Can't Let It Go. Paul, what's that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the wicketkeeper? 
Oh, just a minor one that um, I, like most cricket fans, I think, thought it was great that um, uh, Dan Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, had announced a few a few days ago that the Great Southern Stand would be renamed um, for, for Warney. And I actually sent him a tweet saying, I'd prefer it to be not SK Warn, but Shane Warn, um, because I just think that, yeah, I know in the old days, cricketers had their initials before a stand, before before their surname, but no one really knows Shane Warne as SK Warne. I know occasionally people do refer to him as that and maybe his friends sometimes call him it, but Shane Warne is what he is known as. And I'm pleased to see that the, the Warne family has requested that change as well. And I just think that makes much, much more sense that um, don't make things more kind of uh, distant from people than they need to be. In 50 years' time or 80 years' time when his fame will still be strong, but it'll be more of the cricket aficionados who know it, it would be much better for it just to be the Shane Warne stand. I think that's a um, the, the right name for it. So I'm pleased to see that. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Uh, it, was, it was Rod Marsh's funeral today. So he um, he was farewelled in Adelaide. Ian Chappell was a pallbearer. Dennis Lilly was there. Justin Langer, Matt Aiden. Um, so, yeah, a really moving uh, ceremony by all reports to farewell the great Rod Marsh, who died at the age of 74. Uh, my can't let it go, Paul, is um, I put on uh, our TikTok page. So any listeners out there, if you're on TikTok, um, go and follow uh, Cricket Unfiltered on TikTok. But I put up a, a, a grab from when Ian Chappell was on Cricket Unfiltered a few years ago, and he was talking about his sort of top 100 test cricketers, and he, he called Steve War selfish in this grab. And... This TikTok went quite ballistic, and uh, I don't get a lot of comments on TikToks I post, but the the comments went off on this one, and Chappelle's a polarising figure, Paul. (laughs) Yeah. um, The danger about this is that I deleted the TikTok app from my phone because it was sucking up too much of my time, but that that algorithm is so beguiling that you put a good video on and all of a sudden it it goes through the roof, and it's a really intoxicating feeling. It might get me back on, which is a dangerous thing, but... um, I like Chappelle a lot, and I just think that um, his view on Steve Waugh is so repetitive and un, you know, lacking in subtlety. I'm not saying that Steve Waugh is the most altruistic player of all time by any means, but a top-order batsman needs to have a degree of selfishness because you want them, Chappelle's own words, I'm wanting a bloke who can go out there and get me 100. Um, and I think that what Steve Waugh from afar seemed to do was he was a mentor for players, he did a lot for other players, and I don't think he was selfish. I just think he wanted to succeed. And just constantly Chappelle repeating that, I think he should just let it go. Just It's beneath him. Mm, well, there was a lot of people that agreed with you, i got to say, on TikTok. <laughs> uh, and James, our intern, he, he works at night, so he's not here for this recording, but he's doing a great job with the Captain series. Uh, I, I think part of it as well is that a lot of young people just don't know about Chappelle standing in the game. They didn't grow up with him on Channel 9 like we did. They don't know about his excellent captaincy when he was the skipper. They don't know about World Series cricket. So he just comes across as this bitter old bloke who keeps having pot shots of people. Yeah. Um, but um, Maybe I, I think I think his captaincy is uh, rightly regarded as, oh, you know, I, I wasn't around to see him captain. But from everything I've read and even just looking, I saw some highlights the other day from um, – the 1975 Ashes, and Ian Chappell was captain. And I just marveled at the field. He had like five slips, a short leg, two guts. Like he just, every single fielder was absolutely crowding the bat. And it was just like, 
I reckon today there'd be a deep point and a, a you know a less less attacking sort of field. So, I, yeah, I, I chose my team of the seventies randomly on Twitter the other day, just um, uh, just because I was thinking about it, and I had no question of making Chapelli the captain, even though Greg Chapel, Bob Simpson, Bill Laurie, and Alan Border were also in the side, all Australian captains. So, yep, um, I got a lot of time for Chapelli. Just one or two things I don't agree with him on, <laughs> and I'm sure he loses a lot of sleep over that. <laughs> yeah. That damn it. Um, uh, imagine they're all farewelling their great mate Rod Marsh at the moment. Um, so, look, I think that's it for this episode. Jaleesa Raps is going to be back soon. We just couldn't tee up the time again. Um, but, yeah, hopefully she'll be back soon. I've been commentating with Stephen O'Keefe on the Sheffield Shield, Paul, and he's keen to come back on Cricket Unfiltered. So let's get him on in the next uh, few weeks. Sounds good. Sounds very good. But yeah, it, you're you're right. It is um, sad. Rod Marsh's death has been, to some degree, lost in the um, the outpouring of emotion for Shane Warne. But yeah, it's been a very sad couple of weeks for Australian cricket. Yeah, just uh, yeah, still coming to grips with it. Um, but on a more positive note, we'll be back. I don't, so Paul, we can talk about this on air, so our listeners can know if the. The, the test starts on Monday. That's terrible for cricket unfiltered. So I guess we'll have to wait now until the end of the third test to record again because one of our rules is unless we're doing daily reports, we don't like to record mid-test. That's true. It's not terrible for cricket unfiltered, but it's also just terrible for cricket. Like who who has a test match starting on a Monday? Um, it shows how, uh, I mean, oh, yeah, it's COVID times and everything else is a bit difficult, but it would have been preferable to manage to just push it back um, even to the Wednesday. Uh, but the IPL soon starting and everything's under, uh, everything's um, got to go, go, go. So, yeah, I suppose we might have to wait till um, uh, after the test. Maybe, who knows? Maybe this one will be a, a four-day test match, confounds all expectations, and we'll be able to do it on the Friday. Yeah, and we had a complaint after the last match that we didn't cover the India-Sri Lanka test or the England-West Indies test. And to that person, I will say, I own up. I forgot about the India-Sri Lanka test. Uh, my apologies. And uh, the West Indies England test was sort of halfway through when we recorded. So um, didn't meet our criteria of being completed. It's so hard. The um, In another world, I would have happily sat and watched every ball of both of those test matches, but the bandwidth just wasn't there. I was sort of following the scores along, but um, yeah, it's it's a bit of frustrating because there've been so little test matches on in, in recent months and so suddenly have three on simultaneously was just was just too much. It was too much. All righty, that's it for Cricket Unfiltered. Uh, I echo Paul's sentiment. Just hard to fit it all in and keep my um, family still with me, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Paul and I suddenly start recording in the same venue, you know. Both our wives have kicked us out simultaneously. You'll notice that we'll be in the same venue and we'll be giving detailed grade scores for Perth third grade. Exactly. (laughs) Like 50 screens set up. There'll just be this ever-increasing pile of pizza boxes in the background. Like, So, yeah, anyway. Well, on that note, uh, we'll be back soon. Bye. See you, Paul. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving at your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.